new Batman trailer. <laughs> Matt Reeves, the bat and the cat. That's what they should have called it. <laughs> Honestly, that's a better title. What is it called? It's called The Batman? You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I'm not loving it, to be honest. I really just want to see Paul Dano as uh, the Riddler. I think that'll be like... I mean, I love Robert Pattinson, but it feels like it's going to be a Paul Dano show. And Colin Farrell. This movie has a couple things going for it. <laughs> it does have a couple things going for it. The casting is great. I have no problem with the casting. The cast? The cast. It just... I've heard Matt Reeves say he's trying to outdo the, the Nolan trilogy. He's said that? Yes. It's on record? He has said it. What he's like, it? I want to make these better than the Nolan films. Ever since Batman Begins, I've hated Christopher Nolan. And I'm like, first of all, why? Why do you care to outdo... Like, he actually said that in a recent reporting. Why do you care about outdoing another filmmaker? And then second of all, why try to make it similar tonally? Why not do your own thing? Very similar. It feels like it could be in between the Nolan films. <laughs> you know? It's the know. missing Nolan film. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It's crazy to me. Anyway, here we are. A lot's happened since we last met. It's been a week and a half since we've done a cast. <laughs> you want to tell the audience what happened? Well, actually, it's been longer. longer but yeah, we got the, <laughs> the coronavirus. <laughs> in, the, in the end of the last episode, the Spider-Man episode, I made a joke about as long as I don't have coronavirus, I'll be, I'll be fine. <laughs> Little did Steven know. We both got it. You, yeah, it you and I. We got the combo pack. <laughs> it was the value play. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, that was over Christmas break. And it wasn't our fault. It wasn't supposed fault. to be a break. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't our fault That's either. true. It was not our fault. We got Trojan horsed. That's true. But uh, At the place of that we work at. Yeah. But we're okay. <laughs> we're alive. Now. Listen, uh, we'll, you might be able to hear it in our voices. When, when we do our anniversary episode 10 years from now, we'll talk about lingering side effects, respiratory issues, that sort of thing. I feel fine, apart from having, like, mild congestion. Uh, I feel back to normal. Yeah. Omicron's uh, very transmissible. <laughs> COVID's no joke, folks. Be safe. But It's yeah. not that bad. But it j jacked up our Christmas, both of us. It, yeah, it ruined all of our plans for the podcast, the plans for Christmas. Such a Grinch. Plans for pizza. <laughs> Yeah, we were going to have pizza. We are going to have the good pizza. The, the best local pizza. The best local pizza. Anyway, we we, had, we were going to go see this movie mm -hmm. in the IMAX theater, and then we ended up watching it on our phones. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell David Lynch or anyone. Yeah. It's not something we would normally do. Yeah. But, you know, this movie... <laughs> you've, heard of, you've heard of the home box office. This you've heard me... of Elf on a Shelf. <laughs> <laughs> This was... Now you have Matrix in a phone. I watched Matrix. it in my bed. Matrix. And it, I was so looking forward to seeing it in IMAX. And after having seen it, and this is the discussion for today, but I honestly don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. Before we start talking about The Matrix, both of you and I collectively have watched a lot of content. Yeah. Because we just... Had nothing to do but lay down and watch content. <laughs> yep. I have watched a lot. I can't even remember everything. And we'll be doing episodes coming soon about a lot of that content. Mm -hmm. One of the things we will not be covering is uh, the new Amazon 
movie called Being the Ricardos. It is about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz's life, uh, being married and doing the show I Love Lucy, starring Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, and a, uh, a whole cast of other great actors. And it was really good. I just don't care enough to do an episode on it. Give us on your one-sentence one review right now. <laughs> well, like I was telling you, I Love Lucy was a phenomenon. It was pulling in 60 million viewers every Monday night. It's more a lot for the 50s. More than, yeah, more than broadcast television usually does, like almost by a triple. It was shaping the culture at the time. Like things would close down on Monday nights because everyone was just watching I Love Lucy. Mm. So seeing that, and, and also I grew up watching I Love Lucy a lot with my mom and watching it on my own when I was homesick from school because that's all it was on during the day. It's, I Love Lucy and chicken noodle soup. That's all you need to get better. But I Love Lucy's great. I love that show. And so it was cool to see this take on their personal lives and what was going on behind the scenes. And this movie followed a particular week where there was simultaneously a scandal about Lucy being a communist. Wow. And a scandal about Desi Arnaz cheating on Lucille Ball out in the public and them dealing with that internally and still trying to produce this show simultaneously. Oh, and then the same week they announced that they were pregnant. <laughs> and <laughs> then going on. And then navigating how to talk about, you know, her pregnancy on the show, which, you know, they had the separate beds. They didn't sleep together in the same bed in the show cuz, you know, yeah. Husbands and wives didn't do that. Of course. Uh, and and you know, it was unheard of to have a pregnant woman showing like an actual pregnant woman working on the show as well. So that was, and then that's something that they wanted to do. They wanted to actually have her continue to work and to show that she was pregnant. And so it was just a really interesting movie. Also really sad because, you know, ultimately their marriage ended up in divorce and Desi Arnaz definitely did cheat on her many times. Sad to hear. Anyway. Yeah. Great. I would recommend giving it a watch. It's free on Amazon. If you have Amazon prime. Nice. Anyway, going back to where it all started. Talking about other... <laughs> back to the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about massively culturally impactive. Is that a word? Impactive? Impact. Pieces of media. Full. There's another hallmark cornerstone film that came around at the turn of the millennia called The Matrix. Whoa. The Matrix. Yeah. The world was never the same. Hollywood, particularly Western filmmaking, it was a very important movie. And it uh, became a trilogy. Why don't you talk about why it was important? I, I should say it's beloved by both of us in this room and many people. I honestly think The Matrix might be one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, the first one, the first movie, and then the two sequels that came out making it a trilogy. Yeah. I love all of those movies a lot. I and do it, too. And Gabe does. Admit, I, admittedly, the first one is the best, but yeah. the sequels are so fun and adventurous and mysterious and yeah. weird and just great filmmaking. And as far as sci-fi goes, it's really like the cream of the crop. Yes. And I, having rewatched them all for the new one, <laughs> can only say my opinions only gotten better of those first three films particularly two and three because they get a bad rap and there are some issues <laughs> but it, they're so delightful to watch i think and it is a cohesive story despite the mileage an individual may get out of it narratively so i always love that when a creative person can finish out their vision so but why is the first movie why is the original trilogy so 
Uh, well, at least for the the first film, again, it came around like right at the turn of the at the millennia. So it had a lot of things going for it outside the film, just with everything from Y two K. I think it premiered in ninety nine. Oh yeah. So technology, specifically like the internet and everything revolving around that sphere, was at a boiling point. And so, and man, it was scary for a lot of people at the time. Yeah, I wish I could have been. I mean, I was alive, but I wasn't like in the know <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I remember. I would have been a, a wee boy. But to have been around for the hype, and especially when, I think like Blair Witch Project style of marketing, you know, the, the original trailers for The Matrix were just like very mysterious. Like you said, it was just, what is The Matrix? Like, what is this thing? Yeah. It fed off of that sense of, of what is this? It's the unknown. Yeah. So incredible marketing. Also, just the filmmaking of it left a tremendous impact, particularly in stunts and action mm-hmm. uh, on screen. It was, I think, the first time we had seen like wires used, at least to that extent, um, thanks to Wu Ping, who was the stunt coordinator. He was a Hong Kong martial arts guy who had been doing a lot of incredible work internationally for stunts, and they brought him to the movie to Hollywood to do this film, and it basically changed the way action looked yes. in movies. Was he uh, the guy that did Crouching Tiger? I think that was him. He did a lot of stuff, and I'm pretty sure that was one of the... It was around the same time. Yeah, the Wachowskis, I'm pretty sure, sought him out specifically themselves because they knew that they, they wanted him on the picture. The Matrix was directed by who were then the Wachowski brothers? Yes. And have since both had a gender change... And are now the Wachowski's sisters. Yes. And uh, anyway, they famously were given this small budget of a few million dollars. Have you heard this story? I don't think so. To make The Matrix. And they were like, we need millions more than that. So what they did was they took their whole budget for the movie. And they went and shot just the opening sequence with Trinity. (laughs) And they came back to the studio and they were like, hey, here's the first like seven to 10 minutes or whatever, where you see the bullet time, the the camera freeze and pan and the wire tricks and stuff. And Warner Brothers just lost their minds. Yeah. And they were like, here's all the money you will ever need. What a legendary cold open. Make this movie now. Uh-huh. Yeah. They spent their whole budget for the movie on just the opening. It, 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 amazing. I, that doesn't surprise they me took, at all. They took like a huge gamble with that. And this was, I'm pretty sure they're second feature film they did one picture in the 90s called bound which is that super erotic um like crime thriller noir oh i've heard of that with jennifer tilly and gina gershon 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 and then they made the matrix (laughs) (laughs) and basically the rest is history a couple years later they did i think they shot reloaded and revolutions back to back yeah yeah lord of the rings style just like lord of the rings yeah that was which came out at the same time popular at that time well, what a, what a time to be alive. They took the inspiration from Lord of the Rings. Right. And the craziest thing about Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions, which were the Matrix sequels, was that they, they came out five months apart. Mm-hmm. I think it was like five to six months in between. I think, and I might be wrong about this, but in the same year. But they were literally within months of each other. Yeah. I remember going, seeing Reloaded, going, that movie was amazing. And then I can't wait to see how it ends. And then you see how it ends like in a few months. <laughs> That's such a cool it was wild. way of releasing films to me. I yeah. don't know. It would, I, it would be nice. <laughs> That's also part of the reason why I still like weekly release for series. Because yeah. it feels like you're building that anticipation. 
Yeah. With every installment. Sure. Sure. I, I mean, there's something massively to be said about how weekly releases or installments like that, like Lord of the Rings, how it came out every December was yeah super profitable and, you know, something that people can rely on and think about. And there's a lot to be said there. That's also why Reloaded and Revolutions feel so similar mm-hmm. in tone because they were filmed together and back to back. So I've always looked at them as basically just the same. Yeah. Like just through the, through the same story. Yeah. For that reason. And Reloaded ends on a cliffhanger, a lot like Empire Strikes Back. Like, there's no clear resolution in that movie. Yeah. The two ends, well, it concludes its own story because he saves Trinity, but then it leaves on that cliffhanger. Oh, he, he, he does the machines in the real world. He stops the machines. Yeah. Right? yeah. And yeah. then, so the last shot of the film, I'm pretty sure, is him laying in the ship, and it pans up, or it pans like sideways because it's looking down on him, and you see Next, the guy the that we know guy. the Smith is yeah. possessing. Yeah. Bane is his name. Bane. <laughs> Mr. Anderson. So yeah, it is It is very much two and three are sort of together. Even though I think you could just watch the first film and uh, be fine if that's all you wanted to watch. Anyway, so, you know, 20 years later, Warner Brothers is like, hey. <laughs> you know what we need right now? <laughs> we still have the rights to The Matrix and nothing's mm-hmm. being done with this IP or franchise. God forbid we just let something rest. By the way, I was asked to explain what IP is. That's and a good idea. Yeah. I thought you should maybe do that. Uh, it just means intellectual property. And that is to say, I mean, I don't have the dictionary in front of me, but <laughs> it is basically, it is like the creative breadth of a, rather the legal encapsulation of, a, of an idea of a creative property. Yeah. So Star Wars is a massive IP because uh-huh. it encompasses a lot of creative property. That's that's the gist of it. It's basically like a franchise or a cinematic universe. It's basically anything that was thought of and then given life, you know? Yeah. Like Spider-Man created by Stan Lee and Steve Dicko. That's, the, that's their intellectual property now, you know? Because they thought about it, like made it into existence, and they, they own it. So what ends up happening is people create IPs and then they sell them to studios or whatever. And then the studios own that IP, you know, which is why Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel and blah, 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 Pixar. And and Warner Brothers owns Matrix. Yeah. So even though the Wachowskis were the people that came up with that idea and created that movie, Warner Brothers, you know, owns the rights to that intellectual property. Just like a studio, a music studio might own the rights to a, an artist's yeah. song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of, it gets a little hairy with, you know, like making things in that world because like you said, Warner Brothers, they they own it. Yeah. And so <laughs> Warner Brothers basically was like, <laughs> we're going to make a new Matrix movie with or without the Wachowskis. And one of the Wachowskis, uh, Lana Wachowski, uh, said, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And without her sister, Lily. Yeah, I think it's the first time that they haven't worked together. Lily had nothing, as far as I know, to do with this new film, at least from the director side. Yeah. We should also say that the Wachowskis made about three movies in between Matrix Revolutions and this new Matrix movie. They made Speed Racer, the live action Speed Racer, which I really enjoyed. Little gem, that one. Cloud Atlas that with Tom Hanks and was it Halle Berry? Or? It's a it's an ensemble cast, yeah, but yeah. yeah. They were they let it. And then uh Jupiter Ascending, which came out in 2017, I think. With Channing Tatum as a furry. (laughs) 
and Mila Kunis is like the chosen one or something. I don't know. No. I never saw that one. I didn't see it either. <laughs> but you like Cloud Atlas. I do. I have, a really... and I like Speed Racer a lot. So yeah. Uh, and then this happened. This Matrix movie. And yeah, let's talk about who's starring in it. Who's the cast? Well, it is um, a direct continuation of the previous trilogy. So, despite a time jump, we have two of our main crew back. We have Keanu Reeves as Neo or Thomas Anderson or the One. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> Some say he never left. <laughs> uh, and Carrie Ann Moss, yeah, is back as Tiffany. <laughs> uh, slash Trinity. Yes. And then we have... We did not have Lawrence Fishburne back. Lawrence Fishburne in universe died because it's been 60 years. Yeah. And his presence via program carried on and was reborn as Yaya Abdul-Mateen, <laughs> who you would know from a bunch of other things. He, he was... Watchmen. Most famously in Watchmen, the the most recent Watchmen HBO series. He's also he's been in a lot of reboots. He he's, was in Candyman. Yeah, he's been in a lot of things. And he's he's gonna be in the new uh Michael Bay movie soon with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh yeah. Um Ambulance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said Candyman was alright, right? Uh it was fine. Uh, it was uh I, I bet there's a better movie in the edit. I hope we'll see it one day. Hmm. But Yaya Abdul Mateen is like he's one of those actors that uh I don't want to say is going places because he's already been places, but he's <laughs> he's going to be a presence, like a huge. He will continue force. to explore new places. Yeah, he's going to be. He's a great actor. Anyway, his he was Morpheus, the rebirth of Morpheus, sort of a reincarnation of the essence of the character, mm-hmm. like spiritual sequel to the mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, it's it, I, <laughs> it's incredibly convoluted, exactly <laughs> what he is in this film, but he's he's, he's a he's a AI. He's like a robot. He's they call him the s- a collection of tiny magnetic balls <laughs> like nanites. <laughs> it's like the Sandman but with nanotechnology. Yes. Uh and then Jonathan Groff from he's a voice in Frozen, he was in Hamilton and he was in Netflix's Mindhunter. He plays the reincarnation rebirth of Agent Smith. Yeah. And he's great in this as well. Very menacing. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris plays the analyst, <laughs> the, <laughs> the analyst who was sort of like the architect from the original Matrix. He's our villain, Jessica Henwick as Bugs. Bugs. She's by far maybe the best character in this movie, in my opinion. I loved her character a lot. She's an awesome actress. I would love to see her in some Marvel movie going forward. We also had Jada Pinkett Smith back as she Naomi. was back in old person makeup. Did not, I'm still... Did not work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then um, we had Nick Jonas's wife. Yes, Priyanka Chopra Jonas. As an older version of Sati, who was a young Indian girl. Yeah, she was the young program that met Neo in the train station in the beginning of the third film. Yeah, when they did that Harry Potter thing. Yeah. Merovingian was back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lambert um, Wilson. There was a, Christi- a Christina Ricci, like, five-second cameo. Oh, that's right, Christina Ricci. That goes back to their relationship with her from Speed Racer, because she's in Speed Racer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not... There's a whole cast of characters, but that's basically it. Anyway, you want to talk about the plot? Do we need to? <laughs> okay. So, basically... The <laughs> full spoilers. Spoilers. 
Yeah. We've already said spoilers, but here's more spoilers. The gist of it is 60 years have passed in the real world, but basically right after the third film, the machines reconstructed Neo and Trinity and reinserted them into another version of the Matrix that I call Golden Hour Matrix. Yeah, Golden Hour Matrix. A new version of the Matrix. Um, <laughs> a machine that was Neil Patrick Harris came up with this genius idea of creating even more power <laughs> out of humans, specifically Neo and Trinity. He, he analyzed, <laughs> as the analyst, he analyzed their relationship and found out if he kept them close, but not too close to the pact of them falling in love again, yeah. <laughs> that he could uh, get, get a, a lot of power out of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because humans are batteries in this world. Yeah, which is a whole funny conversation because the original script did not have that from the matrix oh it was another idea about the humans being like processing power for the machines i guess studios thought people were too stupid to endure that idea so they changed it to batteries in the original script um because that makes sense so humans are batteries still we're still batteries (laughs) in the matrix basically (laughs) nothing has changed a few more in the real world a few more people are free we've created a new city called io not zion not zion zion Although when Neo it's wakes up, he, he's like, are we going to Zion? Yeah. And they're like, no. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, Neo and Trinity are, are in the Golden Hour Matrix getting juiced because... They keep the, seeing each other and they're like, do I know you? <laughs> yeah. The machines can't let him go. I think so. And Neo spends the film figuring this out. He gets yoinked by our new cast of characters aboard the ship captained by Jessica Henwick. Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. This whole plot is set into motion because... So in... <laughs> so, okay. The modal. <laughs> the modal. The modal that Thomas Anderson makes in his universe, he's being kept sedated, sedated by the idea that he that the Matrix happened as an idea in his... He's For a, a video game. Yeah. He's that, a game designer. That he designed. In Golden Hour Matrix, he's a game designer. He's the game designer. And there's a very meta scene like a hugely meta scene where all him and all these other game designers are like dissecting what the matrix is or was originally what made it so impactful. Yeah. They were like bullet time. Yeah. And they even went as far to say that Warner brothers is the, the parent company in charge that is going to make this happen with or without them. Yes. The entire first act of the film is chock full of meta references and Which callbacks. Is literally a reference to Lana Wachowski basically <laughs> being confronted by Warner Brothers saying, we're going to make this with or without you. Uh-huh. So anyway, might as well be on Anyway, <laughs> Neo gets yanked out. Yeah. He's not a game designer. They give him some exposition. <laughs> yeah, he's not a game designer. He is, in fact, still Neo. Mm-hmm. They give him some exposition on the world. He meets Niobe and Io. Well, you should tell them how he's actually alive still, because he died in the last movie. Yeah. I briefly mentioned the machines after the third film cellularly reconstructed both him and Trinity. Oh, that's right. Um, even though Trinity was super dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's an, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the film. Mm-hmm. They keep cutting to him in a very Lovecraftian way, just being like... <laughs> rebuilt by machines and he's like his eyes because they were gone in the third film chunks of his flesh just missing and being rebuilt yeah and so they just reinserted him that way into a very special input section of the machine city anyway 
so they yank him out. He he gets to spend some time in the real world again, and the whole film revolves around him trying to get back to Trinity. That's our that's our narrative now. Yeah, that that's the movie. Stakes are low. <laughs> <laughs> But Naomi doesn't want to let that happen because she wants to keep her people safe. A lot of strange characterization happening. Ultimately, our young, plucky crew of heroes who, shockingly, denied their grounding order. They run off with Neo and New Morpheus to to save Trinity. Morpheus. (laughs) Morpheus. Yorpheus. Yeah, yeah, Orpheus. (laughs) Yeah, Yorpheus. We'll call him like... Yeah, I like Norpheus because he's like nanites. Anyway, through a very I- intricate plot to uh, <laughs> rescue Trinity, they end up doing that and they confront the analyst. <laughs> and through this process, Trinity's role in this IP has evolved. And now by the end of the film, she also has Superman powers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> Both her and Neo have Superman powers in the end. Golden Hour Matrix, I think, is still in effect. She denies her whole family and her kids to, yeah. to run away with homeless looking Keanu Reeves. Yeah. The way they kept Trinity sedated was by giving her a family that she eventually denies because ultimately the, the straw that breaks the camel's back for Tiffany to realize herself as Trinity. Trinity. (laughs) Was her husband's like, come on, babe, we we gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't ever call me Tiffany. (laughs) It's like the patriarchy trying to uh, keep our strong female character down, which is... she. The the same thing that happens in Captain Marvel. Yeah, the the whole, like, third act of this film ends in a way that is kind of bizarre in, like, there's this thing in media with... I love female empowerment. It's an amazing thing. But there are times when it is really bungled as a as a narrative movement, <laughs> and Captain Marvel is a kind of a, a, an interesting example of that. That is, in my opinion, the poster child example for that. Yeah, Captain Marvel, and it's so funny because the original three films were amazing in the characterization of Trinity, and, yeah. and Neo, and their relationship. Hundred percent. And this film ends in a way that it's like, well, now Trinity's Superman, and <laughs> Neo's just kind of. In the back seat, which is fine. I don't care about that. But the whole thing just felt kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, and the way they finish it, too, with the villain, the the analyst is like, can't you control your woman, Keanu? And she's like, don't ever talk to you. She's like cutting him up and stuff, like slashing him, and he's falling apart because he's made of code. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> I'm not sure what this means for the real world, <laughs> both for us and for them. Um <laughs> But ultimately, it seems like Trinity and Neo are now going to remake Golden Hour Matrix somehow to be better. It's unclear. Yeah, the plot becomes, instead of like taking the machines down or ending the Matrix altogether, the plot becomes, we're going to reshape the Matrix after our own likeness and paint the sky full of rainbows. Yes. That's a line from the film. And uh, (laughs) that, uh, that is what's where it ends. Yeah. Oh man. There are there are some <laughs> things that this film has going for it, this movie. Yes. This moving picture. Let's talk about the positives. Should we talk about negatives first? Sure, let's talk about the negatives. Lena Wachowski did not bring back uh so much of her crew from the first films. Uh some big names being Bill Pope was no longer the cinematographer. Don Davis was no longer doing the score. 
And those two things were incredibly important for the success of the original trilogy, specifically the first film. Yeah. Uh, and they're sorely missed. Anyone who's even vaguely familiar with the franchise will pick that pick up on that. And also, potentially the most important missing factor is Wu Ping as the stunt coordinator that I talked about, redefining action for the 21st century with mm-hmm. The Matrix, mm-hmm. is completely absent from the film as well. And despite the mileage you may get out of the, the story in this movie, it is uh, very apparent that the stunts and the action is really lackluster, and the editing of it too of the action scenes, which maybe they're just the shoddy editing is a way to like cover their ass because the action sucked on its own, but it's really weak. And it really, with the exception of a couple interesting moments and scenes, it really is like a a huge departing motion from, from the the matrix as a franchise, because that was the action was the matrix. That's the first thing someone thinks of is like bullet time. Yeah. Wow. The karate and stuff. Kung Fu. My biggest point of, uh, deviation from the original trilogy is the lack of mystery in the original trilogy there was this element of mystery that ran through the story propelling it forward and it was completely absent here you had a little bit of mystery when you thought he was a video game designer and you were like okay what's happening and then they reveal it to you and then there's nothing driving the story forward for the rest of the movie after that Mm. and in the original Matrix, you were on the edge of your seat going, wondering as an audience member, what's going to happen next? And that just carried into Reloaded when they talk about how there have been many versions like Neos and iterations of the Matrix going before. And uh, there was always something crazy that was like like a new idea that was propelling the story forward. And after after Neo wakes up, there's just nothing. It's It feels so flat and... Although you're in a familiar world because it's it's a real world and you recognize Jada Pinkett Smith through her old person makeup, you just don't care. You don't yeah. care at all, and you you and the thing is, as a Matrix fan, you want to care so bad that you're like looking for ways that this movie could be redeemed. But you know, like I said, the mystery is absent, and that was the most glaring red flag for me. And you're right about the action, all that, and the score being absent is also a tragedy. Because of that, it felt like a fan film or like a a fan fiction that somebody wrote, yeah, like a script <laughs> online, and then and then somehow got the budget to like make his fan fiction a reality, like into a movie. And that's what this felt like. It was so strange, and it, it felt so different from the original movies that it's hard to believe that it's canon now. Yeah, and. The movie, instead of that mystery and that intrigue, relies a lot. It actually relies entirely on both uh, meta references to the first film in the first half, and then in the second half, just milking for every drop the connection of Neo and Trinity. And I, you can explain a little bit more about why that was such an important throughline in the film. But hmm. I, you can only get so much mileage, I think, out of Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. Apparently, the Wachowskis lost some people in their personal lives they lost their parents and a family friend or something within the course of a few months and they both were grieving and when warner brothers approached them about doing a matrix lana had always appreciated the relationship and the characters of neo and trinity and she felt a personal connection to them lily didn't really care about doing another matrix but to kind of put herself through therapy she made this new matrix movie really focusing on 
Trinity and Neo at the forefront and being the epicenter for this new movie and helping her deal with, you know, the tragedy of losing all these people in her personal life. So I think that is why the movie's plot centered around them so heavily and created a new idea that Neo and Trinity are like this bond. Oh, a dyad in the force. (laughs) Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because it always felt like that was already in the first three films. (laughs) Yeah. But then we just, we really wrung the towel out to get the juice out of that. We went full ham. Yeah. So this would be a nice point to pivot into the things we enjoyed about this trilogy. Because I thought, well, for one, we actually had a nice performance from Keanu for the most part, especially the stuff revolving around his uh, PTSD in the Golden Hour Matrix. There's a, a lot of little physical touches that he puts on his performance to show you what he's going through. And Carrie Ann Moss also did really well. She looks like almost exactly the same, which yeah. is wild. And Both I've, of them do. I've always loved their relationship on screen. and I Their think, chemistry is wonderful. Yeah, and I think this film is no different. Mm-hmm. As far as making your whole movie rely on that, I think while it was ultimately like a waste of uh, a narrative <laughs> to revisit that, I think it works. You know, you are rooting for these characters to be together and to have that happy ending. And ultimately they do. Yeah. Also, like thematically, there are some interesting ideas in this movie. Mm -hmm. We already talked about how they rely heavily, especially in the first act, on meta references and callbacks to the previous films, both plot and theme. Yeah. And because the analyst's whole angle with Golden Hour Matrix... (laughs) (laughs) I love that term. (laughs) It's good is the update of the matrix whereas in the in the first film he says and I need to rewatch his monologue to Keanu to fully break this down I need to watch it again but he says like the first made there rather the last iteration of the matrix was based on like facts and the relationship that humans now have with the more modern matrix being a reflection of our current day society you know with social media technology all that stuff mm-hmm. is that now people want to be they want to feel good. And it's about feeling rather than fact. Right. And just being like comfortable and apathetic. Mm-hmm. And even though that whole monologue was delivered in kind of a, a, an unfortunate way, <laughs> what he was saying was a really interesting reflection of current society. Yeah. And I thought if we could have expanded on that idea more and a yeah. little less with the other hammy parts of the script, yeah. Yeah. There, there are some, there's a really cool potential, a really cool story we could have told there. There's a lot of really cool potential stories we could have told with the ideas that are introduced in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I never even thought about them potentially having an ulterior escape apart from a phone booth. It never even occurred to me that like when this movie, when The Matrix was first made, dial-up modem uh, internet was like, that was the thing that Uh made the most sense. And so phone booths sort of made sense because of the dial-up idea. And so when they were like, we don't even need a phone booths anymore. I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting idea. I never really thought about that. And so a lot of the things that were introduced in the ways that they were brought up, especially like you were saying, a lot of even the, the ideologies from the programs in the matrix, I guess, or the, or the other people that are plugged in, Mm -hmm. um, were really interesting and, and relative to the culture today. And like you said, yeah, it would have been nice for them to establish something that could be explored for a whole new trilogy of films, but 
or other kinds of media. <laughs> sure. But yeah, the world building, while sparse for like the world of the real, what, some of that was really interesting. I really enjoyed like the synthians and the idea of some of the mm-hmm. machines cool. breaking away from the established order. There's a great moment I think of where Neo's just been pulled out and he like meets the good robots aboard this hovercraft. Mm-hmm. And one of them just like moves up against him and like it rests its body against his head. And there's this kind of weird, like cool emotional moment where we see like, we hear a lot about the impact of Neo on this world. We hear a lot about it, but mm-hmm. we don't often see it play out in an interesting way. And that was one of the little cool world building moments for me where there was like mm-hmm. a, there was a quiet, tender, kind of intimate <laughs> moment of Neo of this character interacting with his world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there were little little bits like that scattered throughout the film that showed you that there are, this is fertile ground for, yes. you know, that's world good, building and storytelling. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Like we, we see the new city, Io, which looks cool, but it never really feels as alive as, as Zion. No. Nope. We had these- No orgies. Crazy scenes in the first few films <laughs> uh, in Zion. They really just show you how alive the city is and it was vibrant in that way. And now it's just kind of like, a few cool establishing shots of the city, but we never get a sense for what really is, is, is happening here. Yeah. It's very, uh, Tron legacy. Yeah. I love some of the tech. It's cool. Yep. Like we said, new Morpheus as the nanite swarm. Yeah. Fascinating idea. And we get to see that play out practically in a few interesting ways, like him, like going through the pipes, (laughs) stuff like that. Sure. I liked Jonathan Groff. Yes, yeah. I didn't really like Yaya Abdul-Mateen's Morpheus mm-hmm. because uh, it felt like they changed his character. Like yeah, it, he was, it he was more like like jokey. It wasn't he, Morpheus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but he's great. Yeah, he's really good. It, yeah, it's really hard to match the level of presence and charisma of Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving. But I, I liked Groff too. True. When he said, even though he spends Acts two and three referring to Neo as Tom, which felt a little weird. It's like Spider-Man calling Strange Steven. Yeah, it is weird. When he said Mr. Anderson in that first scene where he's his consciousness is bubbling up to the surface and it's like raining in the business building, that, that scene was sick when he picks up the pistol. Mm-hmm. Loved that scene. Mm-hmm. Mr. Anderson. It is a bummer. Like it, it, it feels like a swing and a miss or a missed opportunity. It, it makes me sad that like yeah. it ultimately didn't work out. If I could... Think of this as like an expanded universe book that was written and then made into a movie, much like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. It makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> and also still sad. Yeah. I, I, I told you I probably won't, as I get older, think about this film when I think about no. The Matrix. Nope. And um, it is sad. And I don't, the Wachowskis, I feel like often get a bad rap, you know, for yeah. their catalog of films. Yeah. But I really did feel, and I noticed this when I was watching it, that it, there just wasn't the same level of passion, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like <laughs> I, I also had this example when I was watching it, like when Peter Jackson did The Hobbit. It, it's just clear that there, there wasn't the same amount of love going into it. And I don't, because we know, like, it was Warner Brothers, I don't really begrudge Lena for, you know, mm-hmm. it is, it's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is sad. And um, like you said, there's a lot of fertile ground for 
new lore. I think we should not abandon, now that it's back in popular consciousness, I think there is room for more Matrix. Just like, we, yeah. we, listen, <laughs> let me just go off on a 20 second rant. Sequels and reboots don't have to be bad. <laughs> True. We've just gotten a lot of bad sequels and reboots in the last mm-hmm. 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we can still tell great stories and make amazing films and series in those universes. I mean, just take like what Denny, here's my, my Dune reference of the day. That's a great example. It's a 60-year-old property. Yeah. New life. It, it's completely brought new life into it. Yeah. So, And that's what I was going to say is if they could somehow do like a soft reboot where we forget that this one existed and, you know, you could make, there's so much you could do with this IP. We could even tell a prequel story. Yeah. I mean, think about the Animatrix. There's an, I'm, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. It's a series of just animated vignettes yeah. from that world. Right. And it just shows you, and this is why I love science fiction so much. You can go in any any direction with this. Yeah. And Matrix has also had a couple of video games. Yeah. That were canon and expanded on. It was the, in the ideas and 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 are beloved by Matrix fans, yeah. like hardcore Matrix fans, especially the Matrix Online. Talking which was, to you, Alan. Yeah, for Dukes. Uh, the Matrix Online ran for a few years. I can't remember who did that. Who uh, published oh, the, it? Oh, the dev. Yeah, but. That's actually where Morpheus died was in that game. <laughs> mm. And it was considered canon, which is actually kind of rare for a mm-hmm. franchise's video games or actually any cross-media to actually do that, which was a fascinating play for the time. Right. Especially now considering what is it that's going on right now? I think I was thinking specifically of Halo where mm. the new show is like not canon. It's like a complete retelling of the original story. <laughs> right, right, right. And it just, it's its so strange to see that. I don't hate it. You know, it's kind of like DC when they're doing all these independent films. It is, an, it is something that can work, you know, like, yeah. like the Joker with Joaquin's Joker has nothing to do with any of the Batman, presumably. Just at, Joker. At this point, just, <laughs> just Joker. And if that's what it takes to tell good stories, then listen, I'm here for it. I just want to see good content, quality content from properties that I love. And The Matrix is incredibly important to me. And it's important to a lot of people. Yeah, but me specifically. <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it doesn't, it won't devalue, I think, what was there before. And hopefully here's to uh, someone else making an attempt mm-hmm. in a few years. We'll see what happens. I don't think they're going to make a fifth film based off of this momentum. Yeah, it did not perform well at the box office. Yeah. Well, despite, I think it, it I mean, HBO Max, I think, and Warner Brothers have been killing it with their platform mm-hmm. because of all the stuff they've been like duo releasing. But yeah, The Matrix Resurrections did not perform well at all. Yeah, HBO Max has already said that they're going to put the Batman on 45 days after the release in the beginning of March. So it's coming on HBO Max in the middle of April, which is pretty freaking crazy. Yeah. They've... Say bye-bye to Blu-ray sales. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> People I will so. still... Buy, I'll still buy them, but... There will always be a market for hard... Hard copies. But it is it is interesting being able to watch a new film in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, that is our take on The Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> We're going to play the song from the trailer. I think it's like a Jefferson Starship or something. Oh, the... Jefferson Airplane. One pill makes you go to bed. 
One pill makes him small. One pill makes you larger, and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you. Chasing rabbits, and you know you're going to fall. Tell 'em our hookah, smoking caterpillar, has given you. 